dedicating this year. First of all, um, Moshe ben Tvora underwent a difficult operation today. Hashem should give him a refor shleima, but about the same, and his Torah should be in his And um, today's learning Bechalal, and tonight's year is dedicated to Menachem Mendel ben Tzvi Hirsch, uh, Martin Annenberg. Today was his 15th Yorzeit, Ezra's um, grandfather. Ezra, you're going to stand up and give us our Torah now, no? I'm just kidding. All right, no problem. But it should be in Ilui for his neshama. Uh, later in the Q&A, if you're curious why we do that and what that means, and just how much something learned in memory of someone impacts their neshama, it's an unbelievable thing to know. You can ask me afterwards. I think some of us talked about this last week. So let's talk about this. So, Parashat Yitro. You're on your way to show for Ne'ilah. You know, you're 16 years old. You went home. You had a little break in the afternoon after Musaf. You got a couple hours. Maybe you relaxed. Maybe you took a shluff. And now you're walking with your dad and your brothers back to show Lincoln Square Synagogue for Nila, right? For Mincha Nila. Yom Kippur. And you pass by this Treif Gummer restaurant. I mean, like little piglets roasting in the, and chicken and maybe with cheese, I don't know, whatever. And even though it sounds disgusting, the smell is unbelievable. And it's in Kippur, you're starving. And it's actually awesome. Like you're just smelling, like you want to like slow down and just enjoy that smell, you know? Right? And then you have this moment of guilt. Like I'm enjoying treif food on your Kippur. Like I'm smelling treifus and I'm enjoying it. And you feel like maybe I shouldn't be walking on the side of the street. Maybe I should hold my nose. And I had that experience every year when I was a kid walking to show on your Kippur. We would pass by this Trafe restaurant and I would look forward to getting next to the Trafe restaurant because that smell was unbelievable. And it actually gave me a little cough. Anybody here have, uh, in your show, had the Alta Cocker, the old guy with the, with the snuff and he'd come around on Yom Kippur, right, you know? Whoa, right, okay? We had that guy. I never got that. I was like, shoot me, right? This one, this is the snuff you want. This was like, like mangal, like, you know, almost like the base of Mikdash and they're all female carbonas. It's going to smell like a barbecue here. Everybody's going to want to come here. Is that a problem? So the truth is, years later, when I was studying for Smicha, I finally discovered the Sergei. And it turns out, Reich love Miltahi. Smell is not, is not a thing. There's no Israel to smell tray food. You're good. Okay. But then there's another problem. Is there a problem wanting tray food? No. In fact, you could make a case of saying the fact that you want to eat treif and you don't puts you on a higher level. I have no interest in eating cheeseburgers. So I'm not going to let a lot of war and run into a lot of scarf and not eating cheeseburgers. All right? The Vilna Gaon is not going to, you know, get tremendous schar and shemayim because he didn't have an adulterous affair. He's the Vilna Gaon. It's ridiculous. <coughs> How important is what we want? And I'll go a stage further. So... I'm on a trip years ago. I think it was during the second intifada, but whatever. And I'm in some motel after a long day. And I turn on, I think it was the BBC. <coughs> and it was during a very difficult time in Eretz Israel. I wasn't happy to be away. And there was a pigua. Some of us had this experience when we were in Poland. There was a pigua. Terrible story. Seven people were killed. You know. But, but I'm in some motel in, I don't know, Chavisnish land. 
And I turn on the TV, and there's a BBC report, and it, it's in the middle of a report, and there's a woman, and it's, it's a close-up of her face. And she looks like a beautiful woman, and she's got this tear in the corner of her eye. And she's talking in English. And the interviewer is asking her something along the lines of like, you know, can you tell me about him, whatever, he was a wonderful boy. And I suddenly realized, this is obviously the mother of somebody who was killed in this pigua, in this, in this terrorist act. And then the camera pans to like a corner, there's a soccer ball in the corner, a pair of sneakers, whatever. And uh, she says to him, you know, how do you feel about all this? She says, I wish I could have taken his place. Are you proud of him? I'm so proud of him. And I'm listening to this, and within about 30 seconds I realize, I'm not listening to the mother of one of the victims. I'm listening to the mother of the suicide bomber. Now put aside, whether, thank you, put aside sort of whether there's something seriously wrong by giving a platform to the mother of a suicide bomber, homicide bomber, I'm gonna leave that aside. You gotta love the BBC. This woman was proud of her son. She wishes she could take his place. Does that make her a terrorist? How much is what you want a part of who you are? How much is what you want halakhically an issue? Now why do I bring this up? Because this is the parsha, one of the central topics of the entire Torah, which is... Pardon? Matan Torah. And there are two fascinating things to talk about in Matan Torah. First of all, it's interesting. You know, um, I was actually learning with somebody a piece from Rav Nevensal. Um, asked a great question. We will say on the night of the Seder, right? Ilu kirvanu sinai Hashem had brought us to Har Sinai. But never given us the Torah, that would have been enough. And you read that, and the biggest problem with Dayenu is that they put it right before dinner. Nobody has time to talk perish on Dayenu because they're hungry, they want to get to dinner. So usually what people do is they talk about Dayenu during dinner or later or earlier or whatever. But it's a very difficult question. What value would Har Sinai have if you didn't get the Torah? So the truth is, the Mahmad of Har Sinai the, the experience of standing before Hashem, of seeing what they saw. Uh, according to Chazal, the entire Jewish people reached a level of nevuah. They're able to see things that we can't even begin to perceive. Itself would have been worthwhile even without getting the Torah. And then, of course, there's the Torah. Now, the reflection of the Torah in this week's parasha is not the entire Torah, it's a Sarah he brought, right? The Ten Commandments, right? And the Ten Commandments, just so you understand... I mean, it's worth taking a moment to think about the Aserat Adibra. Um, I don't know if you know this, but they found a pair of tefillin in Qumran uh, in connection with the Dead Sea Scrolls and another pair of tefillin on Masada. And these tefillin are the same tefillin we have except for one difference. And that is, want to guess? There were five parashiot, not four. What's the fifth parsha? Unfortunately, they did not keep the order. So we don't know who's right, Rabbeinu Tam and Rashi. That's a whole interesting discussion. But they found these villain. <coughs> and they had this earth that they wrote it. We don't do that anymore. There's a very long treatise in the Sifri, Medrash Halacha, that's all about why people have to not put the Aserat Adibros anymore in their tefillin. Right? Um, in fact, there's a famous tshuva, uh, there's an Igeret actually in the Rambam, 
There's a Rav who wrote, I don't think we know who the Rav is, but whatever. The Rav from a particular community wrote to the Rambam. He um, had come to a community, or was it somebody who wrote about the Rav? I don't remember. Um, he'd come to a community, and in this community, they used to stand for a Seres Adibros. And his community's custom was, you don't stand for the Seres Adibros. Now, why did they used to fight that people shouldn't stand for the Seres Adibros? So, as a broader topic, because people shouldn't think that the Ten Commandments, that those mitzvot, are any more important than any of the other mitzvot. Kashrus is not in the Ten Commandments. Right? Okay. But on a deeper, more contextually historical level, there was a significant group, not clear how significant, um, that, you know, sort of akin to like um, Karaim or Tzedukim, who attempted to espouse the theology that the Aseret Adibot were the only mitzvah we have to keep, because those we received directly from Hashem. All the other mitzvah were not given to us by God. Moshe came up with them, and we don't have to follow them. Their time has passed. So in order to negate this, Chazal felt very strongly to limit, right? There's a Mishnah in Tamid, the beginning of Masech the Tamid, excuse <coughs> me, that says that the Kohanim used to say the Aseret Adibot, the Ma'amad, and then the Prakim of Kriyashma. These two things were created, were connected. And they stopped this minute, Ezra stopped this minute, so that people shouldn't think the Aseret Adibot are more important. And yet, and, and, and so someone asked the Rambam, so this Rav came, and he, got, he told his community that we shouldn't be standing, we should sit. And then he finished the job, I guess he passed away or something, and another Rav came, and his minute was to stand. And someone in the community said that, you know, they had learned that you shouldn't stand, because then you give a mamad to these Aseret Adibot, and Chazal were against this for reasons I just mentioned. The Rambam is very clear that you should not stand for the Aseret Adibot. Rabbi Sachs actually has an interesting article on the topic. And yet, even though the Rambam says you shouldn't stand for the Aseret Adibot, go around the Jewish world this Shabbat, and you will see that there are many, many communities that stand for the Aseret Adibot. The Jewish people instinctively understand that these are a very significant group of mitzvot. Now, why are they a very significant group of mitzvot? So Rashi actually makes this clear. Rashi in Mishpatim, if I can find it quickly, that would be great. Rashi says, do I have this here? Um, yeah. This is Mishpatim Perik Haftalad, which is also part of Matan Torah. Right? Kol sheishmot v'shloshle mitzvot, all the 613 mitzvot, They're included in the Aseret Adibrot. The Aseret Adibrot are like a vote of all the mitzvot. They're the major categories of mitzvah. <coughs> and Rashi continues, Rabbi Musadya, right? Ye say, Lechol dibur dibur mitzvot atliyotot. Musadya explained how each dibur um, helps you to understand all the other mitzvot that are, that are connected to it. So each one of these mitzvot, these asserted dibur, are the major categories of mitzvah. And that's why it's so important. Okay. So I understand. And that leads us to our question. The tenth dibur, the conclusion of the Sarat Adibur, <coughs> one of the bookends is Lotachmon. What is the mitzvah of Lotachmon? Right? Lotachmon, Beit Reyecha, right? You shouldn't covet your neighbor's house. Lotachmon, Eshet Reyecha, his wife, right? Avdo Amator Sharoch Amrokosh Reyecha. You're not supposed to want what belongs to your neighbor. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand it's not nice to want what your neighbor has, and we'll talk about what that mitzvah actually is. Why is that in the Sarasa Dibros? 
not to murder, not to steal. Shabbos, emuna, lotin af, adultery, and don't want what your neighbor has. That's one of the Aseret Adibra. That's one of the pinnacles of Judaism. Why is this so important? And if in fact this is such an important mitzvah, why is this what concludes all of Aseret Adibra? The Aseret Adibra is a progression. There's a big debate as to whether the first Dibra, the first mitzvah, is Anochi, which is what the Rambam says, or Anochi is an introduction to the Aseret Adibra. And like the Ibn Ezra says, Lotish Tachavelehem is where you start the, the actual mitzvah. And it builds progressively, right? Believe in God, don't have idolatry, don't carry Hashem's name in vain, Shabbos, Kibbut Avim, it builds. Don't murder, don't steal, and then Lotachmon. What is that doing there? Okay? Third question, very interesting. If you look in Tvarim, you find a repetition, as we know, of all the Aserta Dibra. But there are a few differences. What's the most famous difference between the first set of Aserat Adibra and the second? No? What's the biggest difference in the Nusach of the Mitzvah? Come on. Every Lechadudi, yeah? Ah! In the Aserat Adibra of Yitro, which was given in Arshinah, Zachor Yom Shabbat. In the repetition of the Aserat Adibra, given to the second generation, or repeated to the second generation, Shamor Yom Shabbat. How do we explain the fact that Moshe Rabbein is repeating the mitzvot that we were given in Harsinai, and he changes the nusach. How do we explain that? We sing it every Friday night. Shamor v'zachor b'dibur echad. It's given in one, in one, in, at the same time. By the way, just an aside, uh, this is a very difficult question. Shamor v'zachor b'dibur echad. That's a mitzvot, that's a nace. We, we can't possibly comprehend that. How could you hear <coughs> two words at the same time Okay, and you can experiment with this afterwards. Get one guy to say Zachor, I did this one year. And get one guy to say Shamor, and do one, two, three, and say both at the same time, it'll be gibberish. You will not be able to follow it. Either one is louder, how could we hear both words at the same time? It's, by the way, an especially difficult question, because the Rabbah of the Mornavuchim makes very clear, he's not the only one, um, that the Nisim that occurred when we left Egypt were all Nisim that we could comprehend. Right? There are no Nisim in the Torah that are Nisim that we can't possibly imagine. You can imagine Kriyas Yamsuf. You might not be able to do it, but you can imagine the sea splitting, you can imagine the land appearing, you can imagine it all. Right? A Nis that, 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 that we can't possibly imagine does not appear in the Torah. The Rambam, for example, says that you don't have to believe, even though we say Hashem could do anything, you don't have to believe, you're not obligated to believe, that Hashem could create a square, right? where one side is longer than the other. You can't have a square that's one side longer than the other. We can't imagine that, right? Or where the diagonal of the square is equivalent to one of its sides. We, we can't imagine that. So how could you have a nace of Zachar V'shamar B'diburechad? It doesn't make sense. Interesting question what that is. And if you're curious to a really good answer, you can come over to the Q&A afterwards. But getting back to our point, in the second set of Dibra, at least I understand with Shabbat, that's one mitzvah. It's Shabbos. And the two different answers is Shabbat. Zachar and Shabbat. But in Dvarim, we say, Lo tachmor eshet reyecha. Velo titaveh beit reyecha. Now, lo titaveh is an entirely new isra. It's not the same as lo tachmor. So there's an isra, a prohibition, that appears in Vayetchanan, 
doesn't appear. And the Rambam is very clear about this. Right? The Rambam says, what's the difference between lo tachmon and lo Right? So, kol ha-chomed avdo, somebody who desires what his neighbor has, okay? V'ichbir alav berayim, v'ifzir bo, it's not just that you want what he has. You then don't take no for it. You want to buy it from him. And he's not interested. And you start to pester him. You make him feel guilty. You say, come on, what do you need this Eka car? You got nine of them. And eventually, he sells it to you. Right? Even though you pay him more than market value. is, I actually have to convince you to sell me something that you don't want to sell, I pay you for it, and that's the issue. But if I just want it, I'm not over the issue yet. Right? Okay. This is this is Perak Aleph Somebody who desires actually wanting it. It's planning in your mind, how am I going to get this? When you ask your neighbor, he's not interested in selling it. That's an issue of Ratzon. Right? So, how could you have two different Yisur? In, in the two sets of Yisur that do you can't say, they're two different Yisur. What's the difference between Lotachmod and Lotachmod? By the way, it's interesting that in Lotachmod, in Vayetro, it starts with Eshed Reecha. Lo it starts with Beit Reecha. Very different. What is the relationship between these two Yisurim and what's the mitzvah here? Right? Two more questions. Right? First of all, okay, so you're not allowed to want something that isn't yours. How do you overcome that? How do you change what you want? Like, it's normal to want things. You know, you, you get a job, you're living in Manhattan, and you have a job in Long Island, you want a car. You want a car? It's not such a terrible thing to want a car. Somebody says, you can't have the car, it belongs to him, you can't steal it. Okay, so you can resist doing that. But can you, how, do you, how do you undo what you want? And lastly, we already have an issue of lotinaf. You're not allowed to adulter. You're not allowed to want your, your neighbor's wife, right? If I already have an issue of adultery, which is with Eshet Ish, right? And Rashi says, I think Rashi says, let me see if I can find this. Rashi says very clearly, um, does he say it? Ein ni'uf elab Eshet Ish, that's what Rashi says. So we're talking about over an issue with an Eshet Ish. So if, if, if I say lo tinaf, why do I need lo tachmon? And if anything, I would think Lot Achmot should come first. Lot Achmot, I don't want her. And then, Niuf, you're not allowed to adulter with her. Once I've already said you can't adulter, what do I need? What's the difference between Lot Yinaf and Lot Achmot? So we got five questions. First of all, why is this the end of the Aserat that he wrote? Second of all, right, why is this such a critical piece that it's one of the Aserat that he wrote? Third of all, why are there two separate Yisurim, Lot Achmot and Lot Yinaf? And, and Lotitaveh. Fourth of all, how do you change this? How do you change what you want? And fifth, what's the difference between Niuf, adultery, and Lotachmon? So I want to share with you a deep idea. Okay? 
There was a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Famous Mishnah. The Mishnah says as follows. This is in Perakei. Asara Mishnah Nitnasa Avram Avinu Ve'amat B'Kulam. Avram Avinu was tested. He successfully endures ten trials. To let the world know how wonderful Avram Avinu was, how much Hashem loved him, and so on and so forth. Okay. Now, the Mishnah does not tell us what these Asara Nisyonot were. But the Rebbe Niyonot does, right? He has a list of ten Nisyonot, right? The first is the Kifshan and Rukazdim, that Avram survives being thrown into a furnace. The second is Lech Lecha, he has to leave his home. The third is Vayirav Ba'aretz, there's a famine, and he has to, after he just got to Israel, possibly, he has to go down to Egypt. The fourth is that Sarah, right, just a quote inside Rabbi Yonah, Lukacha Sarah Leparo. Sarah was taken by Paro. Remember this? Avram Avinu says, Tell me you're my sister. And is kidnapped by Para. Okay. The fifth is Melchemet Abat Amlachim. The battle of the four against the five kings when he, you know, helps float. Right? That's the fifth. The sixth is that he does a bris meal when he's 99 years old. And here it gets interesting. The seventh, I'll skip the seventh. The eighth is that he has to chase out Agar Nishma. It's against his very nature, because it's about chesed. The ninth is Akedas Yitzchak, and the tenth is the burial of Sarah. Shem promised him he would have a chalka, and he can't find a place to burn. What's the seventh that I skipped? Right? Lukacha Sarah Aydevimelech. The seventh is, eight prokim later, after the first kidnapping, Sarah gets kidnapped a second time, 24 years later. Only this time she's kidnapped by Avimelech. Rabbi Yonah says, those are two of the Nisyonot. Ask me an obvious question. Why is that a Nisayon? Pardon? Why is that a Nisayon? Well, what's a Nisayon? The Ramban says a Nisayon is basically in a, a trial allows us to reach our potential. So, a tzadik goes through a difficult trial by accomplishing this, something which was only in potential, now he succeeds in doing it. Okay, so something was difficult to do and he did it, Yeah. Ah, once Sarah gets kidnapped and he overcomes this, why are both of these kidnappings separate Nisyanat? Now, give me an obvious answer. Mustama. Pardon? They must have been different. There must have been something going on in each of them which was different enough that they were two separate Nisyanat. Okay? How do I understand that? Why is the second kidnapping included? So I want to tell you an idea which I think will help us understand the difference between the first kidnapping and the second, why they're both Nisyanot, which will help us understand the difference between Lotachmor and Lotitaveh, and more importantly will help us understand why Lotachmor is such a basic principle in Judaism. And that will be the end of this year. Okay? So if you take a look at these two kidnappings, there are a couple of really interesting differences. First of all, one last point. What is missing from the Dibra of Lotinaf, especially based on what Rashi says? Yeah. 
It just says lo tinaf. You shouldn't adulter. Rashi comes along and says Adultery is about somebody else's wife, and that halachli is correct. You meet some girl on the street corner. She's a baba basra girl, and chas v'shalom, you're over in isidor raisa, or maybe nisidor abanan, but you're not over lo tinaf because she's not married. You're just an idiot, but okay, right? So lo tinaf is eshadish. Why does it say eshadish? Why by lo tachmol does it suddenly bring up eshadish? And why, by the way, in lo tachmod in shmot it starts with eshadish, lo tachmod eshad reecha, but in dvarim, right? That's just to quote you, right? In in in, in here it says lo tachmod. Sorry. In Yitro it says, It starts with a house, then it goes to the wife. And in Dvarim, it's the opposite. Here the wife comes first, and the house comes next. So, why the difference? And how come the wife doesn't appear in the roof? Right? Okay. So listen to this idea. This is an unbelievable idea. Right? Um... What was the hate of the Mitzri? The Mitzri were a society of immorality. They lusted. The kidnapping of Sarah was a kidnapping of lust. In fact, the word paro comes from the word parua, which is basically sexual immorality. Right? That it all hangs out. So Sarah is kidnapped because she was beautiful. And because they lusted her. And if you look at the Pesukim there, and I'll spare you, it says, you know, now I see how beautiful you are, and the Mitzim will see that you're beautiful, and Rashi says the Mitzim saw she was beautiful. It's all about Rashi, Sarah's beautiful. <coughs> we lust her. And in fact, if she's the most beautiful, she goes to Parah. Avi Melech is a totally different story. In Avi Melech, the story of Avi Melech and Perak Chaf and Breshit, it doesn't even mention that Sarah's beautiful. In fact, um, the Ran in the Drashat Ran says that the Chet of Avimelech was not about Sarah. It was actually about Avram. Avimelech kidnaps Sarah because he wants to get to Avram. He wants to demonstrate that he's in charge. He wants to show Avram who's boss. And the way he does this, he belittles Avram by kidnapping somebody from his family. The victim of Paro's kidnapping is Sarah. The victim of Sarah's kidnapping by Avimelech is Avram. And the word Avimelech, by the way, is Avimelech. My father was all-powerful. The chait of Paro was a chait of lust. The chait of Avimelech was a chait of power. Interested in control. Lotin af, right? What's the difference between Lotachmod and Lotitaveh? Lotachmod is a chait of control. I want your house. Okay? I want to show who's in control. Lotit Aveh, that's about Ratzon, that's about desire. Those are two different Khatayim. What do they share in common? They share in common that what I want is what leads me to do what I shouldn't do. And Rav Nevitzel makes a really good point. What's the problem with Lotachmon? And this helps us understand how do you overcome Lotachmon? What's the problem with Lotachmon? Lotit Aveh. You know, he has a nice sweatshirt. And I like a sweatshirt. So I say to him, yo, dude, you know, you go to Boston, you can buy another one. Sell me a sweatshirt. He's like, I don't want to sell him a sweatshirt. I'm like, why not? It'll be such a great thing, you know. Right there, we'll start wearing boys' sweatshirts. It'll be great. 
He's like, no, he's like, come on. How much did you pay for it? He says, well, I paid 30 bucks, but I don't want to pay. I said, I'm going to give you 100 bucks. Right? And then I say to him, what do you say? I just want to just stand. Your Rebbe wants to buy a sweatshirt. You're saying no. So finally, Lona, you know, he's uncomfortable. So he sells me a sweatshirt. So I'm over in Issa Doraisa. Right? What's the problem with that? <coughs> the problem with that is, if you ask someone for something, and they say no, and Hashem gave it to them, it means you're not supposed to have it. To want that which Hashem hasn't given you is the core problem. It is the bookend of the Aseret Adibra. The Aseret Adibra begins by saying, Hashem runs the world. Hashem is the source of reality. And what I have is what Hashem wants me to have. And if I don't have something, there's a reason I don't have something. Pondering the fact that Hashem is the source of everything in my life is exactly how I undo the problem of Loti Tavet. It is the, the other side of the coin of Anoch Hashem Lokecha. Right? Now, what, what are the things that lead me down the road to this type of mistake? Right? So, if, if, if the issue with Loti Tavet and Lotach Mod is, is why do I want something Hashem doesn't want me to have? What's the flip side of that? I should really only want what Hashem wants me to want. Now think back to the beginning of our year. Right? What's the third question? First question is, what do I want? Second question is, why do I want it? What's the third question? Does Hashem want me to want it? It is unbelievable how many people never get to that last question. Does Hashem want me to want it? Now, this is a difficult question. At what point do you say, just because something isn't working out, maybe Hashem still wants me to want it, just wants me to work harder for it. So if you, I don't know, fall out of officer's course, and they give you a chance to go again, maybe Hashem wants to see if you're willing to put in extra work. That's a tough question. But at what point do you say, Hashem has decided this is not meant to be? You know? So you go, you meet a girl, right? You're in Baba Kama, she's in Baba Vazor Gishmat. You ask her out, she says no. You say to yourself, you know what? My Nishama tells me I need to spend time with this girl. So you don't take no for you send her roses. You write her a poem. At what point does courting a person become creepy? At what person do you need to realize Hashem doesn't want you to have this? Very difficult question. And that is the line between Lot Tachmar and Lot Tavet. To understand if there's an Isser about wanting something to be controlling, like why do I need your car? I could buy a different car. What interests me is not that I have a car sometimes. What interests me is I want your car. That's a problem. How do I undo that? Hashem runs the world. That's the fundamental idea. And this, this mitzvah, right? First of all, it forces us to accept the fact that we are not in control. Some of you will remember that we spoke about Rabbi Khan Wasserman and his treatise on Emunah. said that what prevents us from acknowledging what we instinctively know, what we're born to know, that Hashem runs the world, that Hashem created everything, <coughs> because otherwise you'd have to accept that everything is random. That's ridiculous. The reason people have a hard time accessing what they intuitively understand is because then they have to give up control. If Hashem created everything, and everything has a purpose, then I don't get to do everything I want to do. And that's very hard for people to do. And that's why this is part of the Aserat HaDibar. And the second important issue, right, is the importance, and we also spoke once about the mystery of what's on Right? What you want is who you are. Nothing comes into our lives unless we want it to. 
And if something negative comes into our life, it's somehow tied into what we want in this world. So one of the most important things you can do is work on your ratzah. Is to work on wanting what Hashem wants us to want. You know? So like you're in a base minister at night because, hey, you're in Shiva and we're supposed to be at night too. But do you want it? How do you work on wanting it? <coughs> How do you work on wanting the things that Hashem gives us simply because they allow us to be vehicles in making a better world? Right? And I'm just reminded of, of this, this, this story that we heard when we were in Poland of a woman whose husband saw that the jig was up. It was time to get out. But this woman had ordered a set of linen. Do you remember the story? She'd ordered a set of linen. So she told her husband, I can't leave. We ordered the linen. The linen's coming. Right? The Nazis had invaded Poland. It's time to get out. But then she'll lose her linen. It's expensive. So she says, you go ahead. I'll wait. The linen should be here in a week. I'll get the linen. I'll bring it with us. It's expensive. And I'll come. She never made it out. For a set of linen. What are the things we really want in this world? You know? Do we get it? There was a fellow by the name of Max Verborg. Max Verborg was one of the wealthiest Jews in Germany. He was on major boards. And as the Nazis came to power, and they committed, you know, what you might call the great theft. We talked about this in one of our shiurim recently, right? They, they, they created an economic boycott, and they intimidated Jews to sell their businesses. You know, I mean, this was all part of a plan. It wasn't just random. It isn't like a sidebar. In 19, I want to hear an unbelievable statistic. In 1933, there were 50,000 Jewish-owned businesses in Germany. By 1938, there were 9,000 left. They intimidated, bullied Jews to get rid of their businesses. 40,000 businesses, right? 5% of the German national budget in 1939 was loot from Jews. It was part of their budget to be able to collect this money, right? They, they had a, um, uh, a law that they passed in 1938. There was a levy on all Jewish property. Every Jew had to list everything he owned, everything above 5,000 Reichmarks. His furniture, his, his stocks, his life insurance policies, his houses, everything. And they prepared this list and financial officers worked on this. And by the end of 1938, they had documents that survived the war of property of Jews worth over 7 billion Reichmarks. That's in 1938. Imagine, imagine the, the wealth that that would be today. It was basically a system that made it ripe for state-sanctioned theft. And there's a fellow, his name was Max Barbarth, and he was one of the wealthiest Jews in Germany. He was on multiple boards, he was a huge businessman, very high-profile banker, and one by one, these boards excused him from the board. You know, because Germany, 1933, 34, 35, Nazi, Jew, not working. And he was forced out one after another. Um, and most of his non-Jewish colleagues remained loudly silent, if you know what I mean. In fact, there was a custom when a person left the board, they would make a toast to his service to the business. But of course, nobody's willing to toast him. So we have a, a, a paper that survived the war. He toasted himself. 
you know, Mr. Borberg, thank you for your contribution to the company and for your service, and we wish you well. Because nobody's wishing him well. <coughs> he was fired from the Hamburg American shipping line, and he realized it was time to get out. Now you have to understand, you couldn't take anything with you of value. You had to pay a 25% of your wealth tax to get out. So, like, far be it from us to sit in judgment. I mean, imagine, think about your parents. And the only way to get out of America is not to sell. You, get, you leave your house. You leave your business. I mean, can I not a blan I'm almost 60 years old. Can you imagine starting from scratch? Not an easy thing to do. This guy's majorly wealthy. He realizes he has to get out. He can't take anything with him. So he manages to get out and he gets to America. And he actually ends up joining the American Army. He's no longer a wealthy guy. He becomes part of the team. He was a lawyer by trade. He becomes part of the team that interrogates Nazi war criminals in Nuremberg. Unbelievable. This is a fellow who said, I gotta think about what's really important in life. What are the things I should want? All that stuff, that's not what's really valuable in this world. That's Lotachmod. What are my priorities? What are the things I really want? What are my goals? You know, you're sitting here and you're ready to go to college, you can get that big plum job, earn a lot of money. Is that really what makes life meaningful? And that's why this is the tenth of the Asarat Adibra. So there's a lot more to talk about on this topic. A little bit of food for thought on Parshat Yitro.